Hello, welcome to the Living Open podcast for mystics and seekers. I'm your host, Erin. I'm a Philly-based healing artist, and this is a podcast to support your healing journey. Hello, my friends. I hope you enjoyed last week's solo episode, the first episode back after our little break. Um, I got some really sweet emails from some of you sharing about what resonated, so I love hearing from y'all. If you ever want to send me a message or an email and share what an episode opened up for you or made you think about or any of those things, I always love to talk with you. Um, just might take me a little while to get back, but I read everything and I really try and respond. So all that to say, love you all. I'm so grateful for you for being here and listening to the show and yeah, giving me a reason to make it. So today's episode, as promised, is an interview. I sat down with Feng Tao, who uses she, her pronouns. She's a somatic practitioner, rebloom coach, and trauma educator who supports queer and trans, black, indigenous, women of color, and first and second generation immigrants in navigating life transitions and moving from a place of survival to thriving and living life on their own terms from a place of deep self-trust and connection to their body voices and aliveness so they can live an uncaged life she works with um, a top-down approach like a mindset approach and a bottom-up body-based approach which is really cool and I love the intersection of both of those things because they both feel really important to me Um, so in this episode we talk about Feng Tao's story fight flight freeze and fawn responses shame over our body's trauma responses, what fills the gap when we don't understand our lizard brain responses, seeking safety after trauma, telling the truth as an act of love, which I love and wholeheartedly believe, Um, Feng Tao's journey with deconstruction and with self-trust after Catholicism, how Catholicism reinforced that she should disconnect from herself and not trust herself, and victim blaming in Catholicism, Um, shame from the church, feeling like too much, feeling like you're bad, the pedestal of goodness, in quotes, (laughs) moving towards sexual liberation, including yourself in the pleasure equation, the power of choice, and how to start connecting with your body. A slight content warning for this episode, there are mentions of abuse in interpersonal relationship, there's mention of the church's sexual abuse of children, and there's mention of rape. Um, None of it is very graphic, uh, but just giving you a heads up about that so you can choose how to engage with this episode in a way that feels good for you. I'm excited to share this one with you. I think at this point, I'm just really interested in interviewing people who are exploring what it means to be brave in their lives and helping people with that. And Feng Tao is definitely someone who is doing that and that feels really inspiring. Um, And especially when people are coming from these really dogmatic religious backgrounds, it feels really beautiful to be able to share these stories of like, oh, there's something after and oh, we might have started in a really fucked up place, but like, there is hope for us and we can heal and we can find ourselves and we can trust ourselves and we can reconnect with our bodies and it's all obviously such a long journey and so personal and so different um but yeah i feel really inspired by feng tao and by so many of the people i have on this show and by their bravery and i'm just really exploring what it means to me to be brave in my life and i feel like 
I'm being really brave this year and I feel like I wasn't for years um, and I'm not mad at myself about that I think I really needed to feel as safe as possible and I was just trying to be okay um, but I want to be brave now and going forward and I don't want to live that way again so yeah a little tangential aside but that's what's up on the podcast right now I also wanted to let you know a couple of things. Today's the last day to apply for Holy if you want to join us. It's a reclamation circle and support group for ex-religious folks. It's seven weeks long. There's only one spot left as I'm recording this, and today's the last day. So if you want that spot to be yours, the link is in the description. Um, and I'm also hosting another erotic poetry writing class around the end of the month in like two weeks. Um, last, I did one in July, I guess and it was so much fun it was so good and i loved connecting with you all over erotic poetry and talking and hearing your poems and writing with you um it's a really inexpensive class uh i will put the link to that in the description as well if you want to join us and come write some erotic poems together express and heal sensuality and sexuality and eroticism and pleasure through writing and creativity um okay i think that's all i have to share and let's get into this episode with feng tao so i always like to start the show by healing hearing about your journey so i would love to hear anything you want to share about your healing journey and how you've gotten to this moment in your life wow (laughs) question and it's always interesting when i get asked that question because like how I answer today is going to be different than how I answered it in the past. So mm-hmm. as I'm making more connections, as I move through more experiences, my healing journey began after I left my first intimate partner um, violent relationship when I was in my younger 20s. I, at the time, I knew I needed help to get out and trying to do it by myself while internalizing the shame of being in that type of relationship and holding it all to myself. So it was easier to talk to a stranger, which was a therapist. And fortunately, growing up during that time, I felt comfortable enough to reach out because my mom and going back down the lineage of mental health, talking about your struggles and was not, it is still a taboo today. Mm-hmm. You just keep it inside the family and you keep it to yourself. So I, I had access to talk-based therapy and that really helped support me at that time in my life to get, to recognize what I was in was abuse because growing up I abuse was normalized growing up because that was where I was, I learn to see as a norm. I mean, being friends with other kids. I remember in elementary school, there were like diff- different games we played. I know Pokemon was one, but there was like another game that me and other kids were playing of like who got it worst. Mm-hmm. And so we shared like different experience in terms of how our parents chose to physically discipline us, but actually it's physical abuse. But that just became violence became normalized as part of authoritarian or parenting. And so that was when I was like, whoa, this is 
not healthy. This is abuse. And actually, abuse is not okay. So that was the first time I heard about it. So I had access to talk-based therapy. And then I continued seeing a therapist. um, And I saw a cognitive behavioral therapist to help me with working with my, the way that I thought, because I was in this negative thinking loop. However, (laughs) five years of kind of cognitive behavioral therapy only did so much. And I noticed that when I was married before Mm -hmm. that I was being constantly triggered and my whole well-being just slowly (laughs) collapsed like a house of cards. And I couldn't hold it all together. And I was like, I'm doing all these practices that I learn in cognitive behavioral therapy, but I still am responding at the body. Like what? And I was holding the story of like, something is wrong with me. Like what's wrong with me? I'm supposed to be healed by now. Mm-hmm. If I went through five years of therapy, like that's the story that we're told. And so I learned on this healing journey that talk-based therapy is only one modality. And each person has different ways of receiving support to help them move on their healing journey. And it's not the same for everyone. And so that was during the period of my life where I entered my Saturn return for those who know what that means. Uh (laughs) And I felt the universe really helped speed up that process because I was just, I was doing I was working as a domestic violence counselor. I was doing policy advocacy in the state of California in the issues of domestic violence and sexual assault. And I basically ran myself into the ground. And so does this connect to my body because I'm like doing, doing, doing all the time. And it was great. I was passionate. I found what like helped me feel so alive. And yet I didn't know how to take care of my well-being, how to tend to vicarious trauma. And even like my own trauma that wasn't talked about in my therapy sessions years ago. It was just about like diving into past experiences. I didn't realize I was re-traumatized every time I talked about those experiences. And um, so when I realized like, wow, there's so much still living in my body and it's showing up in my marriage and the way I show up in relationships with people in my life, the universe led me to like, okay, well, you're going to be living Europe. You're not going to be doing the work that you you're doing. You're not going to be around people that, you know, you're going to be stripped of your identity and figure (laughs) out who you are without your work and the people, you know. And so during that time, I, my intuition was like, you should do yoga. And like, during that, it was like an introduction to connecting with my body again. And during that journey, I was like, ooh, I'm curious about being a yoga teacher because I see how, I mean, for me, I would, it really helped me get through like a really dark night of my soul during that period of like feeling a sense of peace and ease and being with my body. Like it felt safe against me in my body because historically it wasn't. And then I, when I went through the yoga teacher training, there was like this one lesson about trauma-informed teaching. And that like caught, that sparked a prolific fire of like learning everything on trauma healing. And it all made sense for me of like why 
talk-based therapy can only help so much. And that's the top down approach, Mm -hmm. but it was missing the bottom up approach, which is body-based. And that's where I learned through like reading through when I was nerding out, I was reading so many books and it was really bringing back to, you need to work with the body to heal trauma because that's where trauma is stored, not in the mind, but in your body, specifically your nervous system. And then when I was, and then when I was receiving somatic supports, seeing a somatic practitioner to work through certain incomplete trauma responses that are part of the reptilian brain, people may have heard fawning, fight, flight, or freeze. And like, I learned that I was stuck in freeze because I historically, I wasn't allowed to get angry. I wasn't allowed to feel. I learned how to be an expert repressor of my experience and emotion because I learned that I don't matter. I'm not as important. Everyone else matters more and everyone's more important than me. So I need to tend to everyone. So there was that freeze when thing, difficult things happen and ignoring my needs and also people pleasing. Like that's the fawning of like making sure everyone else is okay. So then I'm okay. Cause I grew up in a violent environment where I had to cope that way. I was just a child mm-hmm. and realizing like my body did betray me, betray me. My body actually did what was best at the time to make sure I could survive. Yeah. And so like when I learned all of these different things on my healing journey, it really helped me to see. And that's where it led me to my work today as a somatic rebloom coach and trauma educator is integrating that top down, bottom up approach when it comes to healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for taking us along on the journey. I have so many questions I want to ask you, but since you were just talking about this, I think as you're talking about these different responses our bodies have, immediately I'm thinking about how I have shame over my responses. And especially I think I have shame around my fawn responses. I remember a couple of weeks ago, maybe um, the like maintenance man came over to my apartment and I have a pull up in my apartment because I pull dance and he was here to fix something and he was saying some really creepy things to me that made me feel really uncomfortable about the pole and dancing and stuff. And I was just like laughed and smiled at him and like was really nice. And then afterwards I was talking to processing that with my partner and I was like, I hate that I'm just like, ha ha ha, like sure. And like, don't make it you know, like, don't tell him not to say those things or anything like that. And we were talking about that fawn response. And I was like, yeah, I think that's so true. And also I feel ashamed of having that response. And I think we can feel shame around any of these responses. So yeah, I'd just be curious to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's internalized. I mean, like, there's like two parts. There's the narratives that we were told where we internalize the shame, but also because we don't under, we many of us didn't learn about these different responses Mm -hmm. and like why oftentimes our responses is unconscious. So when we're in a triggered state, our thinking brain, the one that's responsible for our problem solving, rational thinking things through or or emotional brain, they're offline when you're triggered. And so your reptilian brain 
is in the driver's seat. And it's like making sure, okay, how can we keep you safe? And this is the response that's likely to keep you safe. But then we don't, because we don't have that education, shame comes up because other different narratives from whether it's like society, culturally, religion, et cetera, tells you that it's you. You are responsible for you. Like you should have known. You should have done this. You should have done that. And actually that's the lie of like, there's one way to do something and it's only you, like you are responsible. And actually we have bodies. We have a lizard brain. That's like the oldest part of our brains brain as a mammal. So it's when we don't have that understanding, what fills that gap is shame often. And like this narrative of like, something is wrong with you if you couldn't speak up and actually your body did what was best to keep you safe. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so true. And I appreciate you saying that. I think it also makes me think about um, something else I want to talk to you about is like the ways that we seek safety after trauma. And I don't know if this resonates with you at all. Um, I think maybe from the small amount that I know about your story, maybe it will or not. But I think about how I was in a romantic relationship for several years that was healthy and fine and good, but I wasn't in love with this person, which I didn't realize until later. Um, But he felt very safe and I needed that like safety and steadiness after experiencing like so much trauma and trying to process that. And so I was like, oh, this is how it's supposed to feel. And I got really confused about like safety and love and was seeking safety from that relationship, even though it wasn't a relationship I probably actually should have been in. And I think there are so many ways that we seek safety after trauma. And some of them, I think they're all why strategies and we're just trying to do what's best for us but then also some of them are maybe more helpful than others and I'm still trying to unpack that for myself so do you have any thoughts about like how we seek safety and supportive and maybe not so supportive ways we do that well again everything's on a spectrum and there's not and there's not a binary approach of like, this is the right way, or this is the wrong way, because where each person is on in their journey mm-hmm. and whatever the season of their life that they're in, they're going to choose what resonates mo- most for them yeah, and what's best for you at that period of your life. And like you shared what you needed was experience of what does feeling safe mm-hmm. like? What does that mean? And being in partnership, romantic partnership with another person. And like being in that, you learn something. Oh, More yeah. About <laughs> yourself. You learned many things from that. Like you realized you got clarity in terms of like, this is how safety feels like for me in these different ways. And I don't love this person in this way, or there's this lack of passion or whatever else. And that's okay because each experience we move through is more information for us to make more informed decisions. That's why we go through these experiences, all these different relationships is to receive more information for us to really learn more about ourselves. Yeah, that's so true. I think it's just hard when it involves other people who might be hurt by that experience. And it just gets 
tricky, you know? It is. Yes. And especially breakups are never easy because usually both parties don't agree (laughs) when breakups happen. And the best love that you can do for another person is being honest with them. Mm -hmm. Like that's true love. I feel like is like, you're not staying with someone out of obligation, out of guilt, some kind of story involving those two elements Mm -hmm. is like, you really love the person to be honest with them of like, I love you and care about you, but I'm not in love with you anymore. And I want you to be with someone that's in love with you. And also how like that being honest is also love for ourselves. I'm saying, I love you. So I want to tell the truth. And also I love me. So I want to tell the truth and it's worth it. Even if it's really hard. It is. It's just the, I mean, it can be paralyzing because we don't have experiences modeled to us where it shares that specific narrative. We shared like very narrow, limited types of stories of like what's okay and what's not okay. But again, everything exists on a spectrum. And that's where the abundance of so many different possibilities and permission, as your podcast is called, Living Open. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. This makes me want to ask you about self-trust. Um, Because I think so much around, yeah, leaving relationships and all of that can be about really learning how to root into what's true for us and trusting ourselves. So I would love to hear if you feel like sharing what your journey with developing trust in yourself has looked like and how you've grown and deepened that trust. Ooh. (laughs) Ooh. Another big topic. <laughs> oh, yes, because my upbringing was very codependent and especially being raised by um, an authoritarian parenting style where it's like a top down one way structure of being told what to do or else I'll be shamed, guilted, punished, made to feel bad. And so one thing that I was taught as a child that stuck with me through most of my twenties was you can't trust yourself. You need to put your trust outside of yourself because you're a child. You know, nothing adults know everything. So you need to reach out of yourself. And, and that's where seeking validation and approval manifest Mm -hmm. when you get conditioned, socialized, to or programmed when it comes to self-trust it's like you can't trust yourself and also being raised catholic all that there's so many elements of like your body feels this way and it's wrong and i'm talking about sex and like oftentimes when we're going to hormone we're going through purity a lot of hormones come up we get attracted to other genders and And we have all these feels, but then we get shamed if we're curious about sex. And like, I was raised in a home where sex was like parents or my parents and in the culture had this universal myth of, if you talk to your children about sex, they're going to have sex. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I was a child that I knew like, that's not true because we're having sex anyways. And you're not talking to us about sex. And so like, but then when I was raised Catholic, I was told like, you're bad. If you have these thoughts, you're bad. If you have 
these curiosities, you're bad if you feel this way. And like, oftentimes I was like removed from my body of like, again, that, that's another top down structure in Catholicism. It's like, you don't know anything. You need to put your trust in the church, in the priests, in other worshipers. And like, you can't have your own thoughts that are different or else you are bad. So you, so I just got it reinforced in my home, reinforced by um, the Catholic church, reinforced also by society of like women can't, or like girls and women don't know better, or like they can't make decisions for themselves. So they need, again, outside of themselves. So there's so many reinforced meant of me to disconnect from myself and not trust myself mm-hmm. and constantly seeking that exhausting validation and um, approval. And so, and then also layer it with intimate partner violence. <laughs> there was a lot of gaslighting. Yeah. Gaslighting even further disconnects you from your self-trust because you are manipulated and controlled And that clouds your ability to like have any clarity in yourself, because oftentimes for those who may not know gaslighting is at the end of every conversation, somehow it's your fault all the time. Or like when you feel like something's a big deal, you're responding to, oh, it's not a big deal or you're crazy or that didn't happen or like you're just being too much. And then so what I in that relationship, I begin to internalize that. I'm, and I'm just like, oh, I'm just being too much. Oh, like, it's not really a big deal. Oh, like all these different things. Like when I was being, oh yeah, content warning. So you can feel pause. I'm just sharing like an example of like how it was responded to when I was living in my ex-partner's home with his family was when I was getting abused in his room, and I was yelling for help. No one came. And then after, one of the parents were checking in and just basically saying, like, if you didn't talk back, he wouldn't have hit you. And then also, like, my stepdad, when I finally had the courage to reach out for help and, like, share what happened, he was like, well, you weren't being a good Catholic. You didn't go to church every Sunday. That's why God is punishing you. And so, like, those interactions further reinforce that I did something wrong. Like what I did, I can't trust myself. Like others know better. Like if I listened to my stepdad and been a good Catholic and good in the eyes of God, then these bad things would have happened. Or like, if I just listened to my ex-partner's parents and not talk back to my ex-partner, I would have got hit. Like I should have known better if I listened to those outside of me and not myself. And so that was a journey of like, okay, all of those. So there's systematic oppression. So all those different oppressive structures, mainly patriarchy, because that seeps through society, culture, and religion. (laughs) And then, um, and then my upbringing and then my own lived experiences in those violent, intimate relationships. And it wasn't until I Fortunately, was able to like leave those and meet people who are different and like 
that gave me a different lens and perspective of like what healthy looks like and telling me like actually what you experience is not okay and like they really helped me see like the way like these relationships are not okay at all like they're not normal and helping me to see like anything that people say is normal is really not and so like when I was able to like get out of that relationship and not everyone does this but I moved to a different state so I can start a new chapter and like that's where I began to finally like have time and space to like work on myself and like meet new people friends and like really seeing how I can live freely as a woman for the first time in my life was actually when I got a divorce. Mm-hmm. And like during that time, I was on different online women's programs and seeing how women were living that were different than what I had watched on TV or magazines or like friends from high school and just like such abundant ways of living that helped give me the courage to live differently. And so like during that time was when I, when I was able to like work through, especially the trauma in my body, that's where, when I, when I came back into relationship with my body and began to trust myself, that's where it happened was like, I can trust myself again and being around folks who were a mirror to me at the time of, and also reflecting what's possible as well. And so, yes. I think we need those mirrors so badly to reflect back to us what's possible and to like show us the way, especially when maybe we don't get it in our families. Like it sounds like you didn't, and I definitely didn't either. No one in my family was living a life that I actually want to live. Um, And that's still pretty true. And so being able to see people who are and women who are, are showing the way, it's like, it's everything. And what you shared too about those feelings of like being too much and being bad just resonates so deeply. I feel like those are the two like huge roots of religious trauma for me of like that I'm still working with all the time because I've been working with them for years and, you know, they haven't gone away. They, you know, they shrink and they change and I get more awareness and all of that. And they take up less space, but they're still there. That feeling of like, you are bad, you are too much. And they impact so much. And I think I get really sad and really angry when I think about how much damage systems like the Catholic Church, the Christian Church in general, have done to us. And it's not so simple, you know, it like there's so many layers to it and it weaves into and impacts so many things. Um, I think I'm curious if you want to share what your process was like of deconstructing Catholicism or like, how did you realize how these things were affecting you or like, what's your relationship with Catholicism now? Oh my gosh. Like my mind eye opening moment was when I watched the spotlight Mm. based on true events and investigative reporting by the Boston Globe and about like what the church was doing. And again, from the top down orders to hide what was happening, what the priests were doing in terms of sexually abusing children 
and protecting their reputation rather than the children. And so that's where I'm just like, what you're preaching is just lies and hypocritical. Mm -hmm. And like, you're shaming us for being human. And like, at the same time, you're allowing sexual predators to like switch from one community to another and continuing it. And so like that really helped me to like, oh my gosh, like what I was told was not true. And the way it was raised was just like, yes. So I was angry when I was watching that and then reflecting on my own lived experiences of like, just because I was told this is a way of being good doesn't mean it's true. Mm -hmm. And that really helped me to like deconstruct and also ripple in like other things that the way I was being raised and what norms was I internalizing and living out? Like, is this really true? And like seeing what I wanted to like dig up and rip out and like plant new seeds of what was true, what is true for me. And so like seeing that and like how how it felt in my body. I felt so constricted. Like that's how repression is like. You're so caged in yourself. Like you reject part of yourself. And like I rejected part of myself for like years because I was trying to be good, a good person or a good Catholic or a good daughter or a good girlfriend or partner or good friend. This goodness like really caged me from really getting to know the person that's going to be with me the longest, which is me. Mm -hmm. And so when I was able to like tease out like that one common thing for like most religions, I I don't know all religions, so I'm just going to say most is like this pedestal of what goodness is. That's used to manipulate and control. So like what I see that was common in the Catholic church was like, if you can disconnect people from themselves and their bodies from their, from their own sense of what's right and wrong and being injected with what they want us to think what's right and wrong. It's easier to control us. And that is shame. That is the weapon that they use shame the person to submission. And so anytime I am a part of, or, you know, exploring new communities or groups, if I, have a hint of shame or see it or feel it or experience it, I recognize it. And I'm like, that is not part of the community or people that that I want to be around because I know what it does and that breaks a person down and I'm not going to do that to myself. So like, it's just like not with Catholicism, it's just with any community relationship even the workplace, if that shame element is there, it's being, it's going to be used. Basically I say shame into submission. Yeah. As you're talking about that shame that the church gives you, I'm just picturing like 
you know how when you cut open a spaghetti squash and there's all these seeds inside and you like scoop out the seeds to cook it or whatever I'm picturing like how the church like scoops out all of like your intuition your trust in yourself you're in all of that stuff like plops it and then has to like stuff you with their version of right and wrong what they think it should be all these ideas about being good and all the programming then they like put that inside of you and make it so hard to return to like the self that you are. Exactly. And like one huge piece of that is like choice. Mm -hmm. We get disconnected from our power of choice. Like one common thing is like, was it birth control? Mm -hmm. Like you're shamed for using it. Like you should have sex and have babies because God blessed you. And it's like, whether you want the child or not, doesn't, again, that, that reinforcement of what you think, how you feel doesn't matter because outside of you is what matters more. So you need to step in line and follow or else you're bad. Oh yeah. And so, yeah. So that's why we like, when it comes to sex, oh my gosh, so many sexual violations happen because we've had those earlier experiences of like, we can't be in our bodies we can't trust our bodies. We can't even make decisions on using birth control because that's what we want. So we never get connected to actually, what do we want? What do we like? What are our desires? What do we find pleasurable? We just kind of like, kind of like step, like just stand there basically and just allow things to happen because that's just how we were conditioned. And that's how we show up. Not in just romantic relationships, workplaces, family, friends, but that's just how we show up because it was not okay to actually honor how our body felt, how we thought. So, yeah. And that's how we like become good and good is a cage and it sucks. <laughs> yeah. I think as we're talking about sex, I want to hear more about like moving towards more sexual liberation and something we talked about before this conversation of including yourself in the pleasure equation. Like, please tell us more about this. <laughs> oh my goodness. So as I already shared, I was so disconnected from my body and I had so many sexual violations that happened to me from like rape to unwanted touch anything in that sexual realm, I was so disconnected from my body. I didn't have any boundaries. I wasn't feel, I didn't feel comfortable saying no because I was basically forced to say yes. Mm -hmm. That was what being good meant. So then you kept, because if you say no, you are bad again, bad. If you say no, you are mean. If you say no, you're going to hurt the other person. And again, that reinforces like, because you do that, you are, you are the one that's responsible. And even if the other person is doing you harm, you still have to be polite, be respectful and be a yes person. So what happens? My nervous system and many people develop an auto yes response, even though they want to say no, but they're paralyzed by their past experiences. And that's where the trauma, if it's not worked through, you basically respond on that wired response. And so, yeah, I, when I was sexually repressed and I was removed out of the pleasure equation, that meant 
I had, I was codependent really on men to give me pleasure because that's what I saw. That's what I was ingesting from media, magazines, et cetera. Like I had to look hot and sexy and blah, 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 all those stories. So I, and like, for me, like my role in sex was to pleasure the man. Like if he did anything and okay for all, yeah, specifically, this is my experience um, growing up as a cisgender woman in heterosexual encounters is that that's what, that was, that was the narrative and that I was conditioned to fall in line with. And so I just got used to like, okay, well, this is just how sex is. This is the only way I've learned it. I don't know any other way. I'm just supposed to be there and pleasure the man. And whether he knows what he's doing or not, and if I don't like it or not, I don't say anything. And again, that comes to like, again, you don't say how you feel or think because it doesn't matter. The other person, what they want, what they think and feel matters more. So just silent yourself because that's the right way. And so it wasn't until I began, again, like, meeting other women who were already sexually liberated and getting comfortable with saying no, using their voice and like filtering out who has access to their sacred temples Mm. and like being back into relationship with their bodies and like really really it's that relationship to your body that gives you so many different connections to yourself. But that's what it was, was like when I was finally able to be back in my body again, when I was able to like get a sense of like, actually, no, this is what I like. This is what I don't like. Do I want to sleep with you? No, I'm not going to sleep with you just because you want to sleep with me. Mm -hmm. Or like, I felt comfortable taking up space And I'm like, no, this sex needs to be pleasurable for me too. Otherwise, I'm not going to continue having sex with this person. Mm -hmm. And so, again, that's like, for me, it was having, meeting safe people that centered my pleasure, Mm -hmm. that actually know what consent is and actually checks in with me. And that's such a whole new experience than what I was used to before, because when I'm in these sexual encounters or experiences where consent and pleasure and safety and trust are all built in. And it's again for both people, because maybe what I like to do, the other person is like to do. So how can we find different ways that we can experience pleasure together and we get creative and it's fun and playful. And like, that's, I, that's what I noticed from the sexually repressed experience to the sexually liberated experience is there's that fun, the curiosity, mm-hmm. the playfulness, the co-creation. And like, my body is so happy and opened up. But when I'm, I was repressed and just, I removed myself. Mm-hmm. I was just, I was so disembodied. Oftentimes I was out of my body. Oftentimes I'm just like watching the time. Like, when is this going to be over? Like there, I remember those times where I'm just like, 
I just wish this was over. I just wish this mm-hmm. was over. But now that I choose who is in alignment with me and like we actually care and want to have a pleasurably sexual experience together, that has shifted so much where I get to connect with other sexually liberated folks, again, who centered those different elements of comfort, safety, trust, and pleasure and communication. Communication is, I mean, the checking in part is so important. And so like, I, yeah. So that's my journey and like, woo. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like finding a sexually compatible person I learned is part of the sexual liberated journey Mm. of like, and that part of my journey has been no longer settling for what I can get. I can have what I desire. Yes, that's so good. I'm, I already know I'm pulling that out as a quote of this episode. <laughs> that I really think this is so interesting because what you're saying is making me think about, I did not know how to desire until this year and I fell in love with my partner and I realized I've only just known how to be desired and not how to desire and I've only known how to be chosen and not how to choose and that's like literally what you're saying how we're programmed into it like oh this person wants to have sex with me always a man this man wants to have sex with me like okay I'm being chosen you know I'm being desired and it's just like no that's not enough I don't want to just be desired I want to actually like have desire and be able to follow that and claim that desire. And that's a completely different experience. Full body orgasms. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I'm like, I've never known. I'm never going to sexually deprive myself or settle for me. Like, no, no, no. I'm life is too short. Uh Bad sex. Yeah. Bad sex is not what I'm going to be doing with my like one wild and precious life. Uh Uh-uh. No, (laughs) no, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And that comes back to choice, the power Mm -hmm. of choice. And you can see how the power of choice is so interconnected in all areas of your life. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, it's just like, if you feel you have choice, that's going to show up in in your whatever relationship or whatever experiences you have. And when you have choice, oh, that's where the pleasure portal opens up. (laughs) Yeah. And I think one of the terrible things about all these systems and this trauma is like, we think that we don't have choice, like that ability to choose, we think is like taken from us. And in trauma, like a lot of times it is taken from us. And then in these moments, it's like remembering that we have that power, but there's so much unpacking there it's not as simple as being like oh right I can choose it's like there's been so many experiences most of us have had where we weren't able to choose or we learned that we couldn't and it's really hard it is and like that's where like also the healing journey that I want to come back to is like there's that fractal piece that Adrian Marie Brown what they said is what happens to the individual affects the collective and Mm -hmm. vice versa. And that's the same with healing. Like you can't do healing by yourself. Healing happens in relationship as well. Like trauma happens in relationship. Healing can also happen in relationship. So like also where can you find community groups of folks 
where you can go on this journey with to have new, healthy, safe, pleasurable experiences. And like, that's where so much opens up. Oh gosh. Coming back to living open, like all of it. (laughs) Yeah. And I think so much of our conversation has been about connecting to the body and returns to the body. And so I'm wondering if there's anything you want to leave people with if they're like, okay, I feel so disconnected from my body, like a little portal into connection or a way that they might think about starting to connect with their bodies at a deeper level. Yes. So I actually have a 30 day observe your yes and no worksheet. Mm. And in that worksheet, I talk about briefly how we become disconnected and I focus on in the West because this is where I grew up. And so I invite you to build your felt sense vocabulary, meaning like, okay, so when you say yes or no to this situation, what's your bodily response? And here's here's a working sheet of different responses that your body can have from like the temperature, like, is it feeling hot? Is there heat? What's the movement? Where are you noticing it in your body? Are you contracting? Are you expanding? What's the weight light? Um, and more. And then like connecting those pieces to like, okay, I said yes to this. And then you begin to find like, actually, I'm a no. And this is how it shows up. So you make those connections. And also what was your emotional response? What was your thought response? And what is it going to cost you? Because oftentimes we don't think about what is it going to cost us when we say yes, when we mean no. And I'll talk about like a simple example, like being raised in the Vietnamese household, moms, aunts, and grandmas love to cook and you can't say no, you have to eat. So I learned to overeat, but then it's just like, actually, I'm really full. But then there's that guilt part of it. Like if I don't eat, then that means I don't love the person, but it's just like, okay, what's it going to cost me to accommodate someone else's discomfort? Mm. Oh my God, that question. (laughs) And so, yeah, you're building up like your awareness over a period of 30 days. You look at one thing you did today that you said yes or no to, and how were those responses like, and also include like an emotional response like wheel so you can connect to because that's how you build that mind body connection it's like okay i'm noticing this this is what comes up so usually over what they say or what said is like you build a habit after 21 days so that's where that was my intention creating this 30-day worksheet was so you can observe literally your yes and no and how that is landing in your body and you come more into like a titrated or you're tiptoeing into those experiences and building that awareness because there's so much, there's a saying, uh, and I don't remember the source, but so much wisdom in your body. It's just, we didn't have the space and guidance to connect to our bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounds so powerful. I'll definitely link to it in the description so people can check it out. Um, and Oh, and also if you don't have like, you know, you don't want to do it yourself, you can work with someone who's trained in somatics and guide you because um, the important part of like somatic work is like, you're not only have time and space for the person to 
give you a chance to like notice what's happening here. And sometimes it may not be accessible. So we connect to different other channels and then build that connection back and educate at the same time. And that's what's different than talk-based therapy is like that education piece to sync up the mind and the body. Because if we don't understand what's happening, we don't make those connections. And what fills the void is the shame. Yeah. So when we can understand our bodies and our responses more, we can make different decisions. But until we have that understanding, we just, again, automated response. And then we get frustrated. We're stuck in the shame spiral. And so, yeah, working with someone in a group. And like, you get to choose like what you're ready for. Cause like maybe some folks are not ready to jump into a group mm-hmm. and they'd rather just do one-on-one work or they'd rather do it by themselves. So that's why there's like, you can do things by yourself. You can do it with one other person that can hold space for you and reflect and educate or in a group setting. So there's just, again, choice, the power of choice. Like you get to choose what you're ready for. Yeah, I really wish for everyone to work with a somatics practitioner. Like, I also facilitate somatics work and I see a somatic therapist and I'm like, it's just having that container and space held is just radically different, even if you like already know about somatics and can do some of that work. It's just so powerful to have space held and also to do it in community, like you're saying, is like, it's everything because harm is relational and so is healing. And yeah, it's just so helpful. So maybe can you tell us where people can find you online and connect with you? Yes. So I have a website called the uncaged path. Also my Instagram handle is also the uncaged path. And then as you'll share in the link, I have that 30 day observe your yes or no worksheet and then I have a Uncaged Boundary group coaching program where part one is four months. And right now I have cohorts for women of color and Asian women, but I'm going to open that up to all genders. So open up to everyone starting in 2022, because again, we heal in community and in relationship with folks. And so those are different ways um, you can work with me and in the future. Amazing. Hung Tao, can you tell us um, what living open means to you and what comes up for you when you hear that? Living openly? Oh, there's this like (laughs) aliveness, this curiosity, this playfulness, this my connection to my sensuality and and sexuality and this deep rooted knowing with myself. And I feel like when I live from that place, all these other things are possible. And I show up from the beginning of new connections and even like it reintroducing myself in those connections of like, I'm living from this authentic place. And that's how it feels to live to as your, as what your, the name of your podcast says is living open. I wish people could see what you were doing with your body throughout that. Cause that's just like, Ooh, yeah, I feel it. <laughs> so everyone just imagine, <laughs> but thank you 
so, so much for coming on the show. It was so lovely to talk to you. And yeah, I'm so excited to share it with everyone. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this episode, please do tap five stars and leave us a nice review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. I appreciate it so, so much. And it's a really lovely way to be in exchange with the show, with an indie podcast. You can check out all the links mentioned in this episode in the description, and I'll be back on Monday with another episode. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it and stay in touch on on Instagram at E-R-Y-N-J underscore or Patreon until then.